Welcome to the FNO InsureTech Podcast, a place where movers and shakers from all points within the insurance ecosystem gather and discuss all things InsureTech. We talk about how technology and innovation are affecting and driving change in the industry. Here are your hosts, Lee Boyd and Rob Beller. Hey, Podcast World, welcome to another remarkable, amazing, stunning edition of FNO InsureTech. That's right, FNO, First Notice of InsureTech. This is a very special episode because this episode comes to us from our groupie, our one and only groupie. Isn't that right? That is right. We always love it when Astrid sends us over some people to talk to. And you know, when you're, you know, the, when you have the level of celebrity that you and I do, <laughs> so high, so high, and the level of fame that mm-hmm. that we do. Um, mm-hmm. I was just saying to Kim Kardashian the other day. Oh well, yeah. I, prob- I probably shouldn't. You probably, probably shouldn't. Should. It'll come out should. on the uh, TV show. It'll be on the show, right? Um, to have a groupie. It's kind of, you know, it's kind of a big comes deal. with the territory, comes with the territory. Yeah, we, we appreciate her sticking around all these years. Fortunately, our groupies, Harvard, <laughs> MBA, Stanford grad, brilliant, who happens to know all kinds of important and brilliant people in this industry. And Astrid gave us a recommendation to have Matt Van Every, CEO and co-founder of Canopy Weather on our show today. Yeah, we're going to get to talk to Matt all about what his company is doing, what he's done in the past and, and, and what it's currently doing, but how they are changing the landscape for using weather data, not only on claims, but on underwriting uh, and, and different aspects of the insurance world. Uh, it, it'll be a great conversation. Great conversation. I think that you'll be fascinated by what a bunch of weathermen, weather people, weather persons... Mm-hmm. What do they call the person that does weather on the t- on the on the news? Weather people, weather forecast, meteorologist, meteorologist. That's yeah. it. Yeah, that's gender neutral, right? Yeah. Uh huh. That's the they of I weatherman. Think, yeah, I think it is what it is. They're uh-huh. meteorologists. Uh huh. There you go. Anyways, we have think- a real serious meteorologist who runs around with a bunch of meteorologists. Storm chasers. So, yeah, storm chasers. In fact, we got an invitation to go chase storms in Oklahoma. Yeah, that Should we do that? Terrible. I don't, I, that sounds awful. I don't know that I want to do that. You know? No. Do you want I'll to get in it. a car and no. like drive towards a hurricane? I mean, towards a tornado and then turn no. around and drive away from it? No, not ever since I saw that guy on the Weather Channel in his car and the tornado hit his car. <gasps> really? Yeah. Yeah, he didn't chase storms anymore. <laughs> okay. Well, we won't make you chase this conversation anymore. And we'll go without further ado to our conversation with Matt Van Every, CEO at Canopy Weather. Hey, everybody. We are here back again live with my co-host, Mr. Lee Boyd. And today we have a very interesting twist. When weather meets technology is kind of the topic du jour. And we have with us an absolute total authority on this. We have Matt Van Every, who's the co-founder and CEO 
of Canopy Weather coming to us from Texas today. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome, Matt. Welcome. Thank you. It's good to be with you. So Texas, Texas isn't normal for you, right? No, it's, uh, I live in Norman, Oklahoma, and our office is in Edmond, Oklahoma, Oklahoma City Metro, but we're, I'm in Texas today. And uh, I jokingly uh, came down for LRB and never left. But, just uh, stayed around. <laughs> You're just getting over that hangover about now, huh? <laughs> yeah. Well, see, it was probably went to the same place uh, uh, that you guys got fajitas or something. Uh, I heard on a former podcast. So oh, you, you, probably, you just never know. Forty-seven dollars fajitas. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. World's most expensive fajitas. The world's most expensive. And you would think that, oh well, it's an enormous amount. I obviously I'm not over this yet. And it's like, you know, what you would get at Taco Bell. It was horrible. Anyways. Yeah. And we shared it and it wasn't it wasn't enough. I was still hungry. Yeah. Yeah. But Lee being the nice guy that he is, didn't say anything. And me being the rude, obnoxious guy that I am, I ate it all. So let's jump in though. First of all, I have to ask you, what's with Norman, Oklahoma? What, is Norman, Oklahoma, like the weather center of the world? What's the story there? Graduating from University of Oklahoma, absolutely. There is no no second place. Okay, all right. Uh, but no, I mean, there's there's a lot of truth to that too. For for severe weather, definitely kind of the lack of better words, call it the mecca of, of the weather industry. Okay. We have National Weather Services there. Um, we've got the Swamp Prediction Center, who issues uh, tornado. And thunderstorm watches across the whole country is right there in Norman. So that, that attracts a lot of talent to the school and the school reciprocates that as well. Cool. Very cool. And also there's a lot of weather in itself, isn't it? Isn't it like one of the biggest tornado areas right down tornado alley? I seen like more Oklahoma, right? Always has these tornadoes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's been a while since Moore's had, uh, what, 99 was the big first big one, and then 2004, and then 2013 was the last big one. And, oh, wow. Uh, and that's, that's about um, 10 miles north of Norman. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's something in the water, I guess. So let's first get started with um, what the heck canopy weather is. You're, you're, you are uh, what we'll call a serial entrepreneur. This is your second go-round in the weather commercialization weather space, which we'll talk about. We'll get to that. And that's a really interesting story that we want to hear about. But let's first start talking about the the topic at hand, and that's canopy weather. So tell us, tell us about canopy weather, what you do, and what you're about. Well, like uh, the name suggests canopy, um, that has a little bit of to do with what we do. Um, more than just saying we got you covered, but uh, uh, I would say that what we really focus on at Canopy is the roof right now, um, and, and weather related to an individual roof at an individual property. And that's and then from there, there's different ways that that can be applied. Uh, there's ways in the claim side, uh, there's ways in the underwriting side, there's other markets as well, but but really claims and underwriting have been the, the big areas that we've been focused at and our customers have been focusing us. So what are you doing with this information? Is it, is it gathering information? Is it looking at how hell damages roofs or wind damages roofs, or are you actually making it actionable? That's a good question. So if you look at what the industry has had over 
say the last even 10 or 20 years, it's been generic weather information. And then it became a little bit more specific um, about a decade, decade ago. And then uh, as we look at bringing different technologies together, better modeling, we get into kind of that address specific level. So what we're doing is we're taking more than just, say, a maximum hail size report. Uh, there's more to hail damage than just hail size. Uh, there's a whole bunch of things from the weather perspective that you have to account for. And then there's other things from the building envelope or building characteristics you have to account for when, when you're talking about hail damage. And so that's what we do is we focus on damage. And then from there, we help our partners in the industry and, uh, uh, and help them and our direct customers make decisions. So what does a insurance carrier come to you for? What's the product? Uh, right now, we've been focused heavily on the idea of claims triage and remotely um, assessing claims. That's been a hot topic, uh, especially since COVID, and that stirred up a bunch of conversation. And then really the challenge there is there's so many opportunities out there uh, to adjust a claim what's the best opportunity and the best approach for that individual claim. So that's what we focus on the claim side is help before FNOL predict which policies are likely to file a claim. And then once FNOL happens, we can route that for a straight through processing scenario. We just cut a check and send anybody. We're working with a couple of carriers on that all the way to the other side of that is send an adjuster. There is no shortcuts. So are you an independent adjusting company? We are not. Uh, we right now are focused on the data analytics side of it. So helping them make the decision that's best for their business. Is that mostly what you all are? Is a, is data analytics is um, new and different ways of collecting and analyzing the data? That's correct. Uh -huh. yeah. Share with us what you can about that. Yeah, if we look at the uh, claims process, there's a few things that that we are able to do. Uh, one is as soon as a storm hits, whether that be hail, wind, or tornado, um, but let's focus on, let's focus on uh, hail for a second. Okay. Uh, a storm hits, and one of the first things we can do is look at the policies in force and say, okay, these policies are the ones that are likely to file a claim based on the criteria. And you can also determine, you know, what's the reserve setting you're gonna need, how many adjusters you, you might need, all those things can happen within, usually within an hour of a storm happening. Um, and then from there, it's the triaging of that claim. Uh, how, do you, how do you get the right resources to that claim? An example there would be, um, you know, we get a lot of activity in, in questions and conversations about drone programs. Um, you know, that's, that's an example of a new or not necessarily a new, but a, a, a resurgence in, in, in activity, if you will. Um, but not a drone is not perfect for every claim. You know, if, if it's likely to become a denied property, you probably don't want to send a drone out for that. So that's a, that's a example that we do. 
Yeah, I think that's a question I like to ask is when is the right time to send a drone? You know, we've worked with drones for a long time, Mm -hmm. uh, for many years. We piloted them, uh, you know, playing words. We tested them out. We did things. I think it's always that when is the right time? Is it whenever you know there's no damage or is it whenever you know there is damage or is it just a steep and high situation? What is your thought on that? Claims managers that we talk with that are battling that exact same question uh, internally. It's like, when is it? You know, there's the first one is just, hey, is, is it a two story or a steep slope roof? Is there a way to use that? So that's one approach. Uh, when you look at it from a weather perspective and a hail perspective, if you have small hail and you don't have enough volume of hail, it's going to be very challenging to determine uh, visible hail hits on a mm-hmm. roof from, an, from a uh, drone. And there's some really great programs out there that are emerging, kind of almost considered almost a a drone 2.0 that's in the works right now. Yeah. Where they're using machine learning and computer vision on on pretty high resolution imagery, um, but there's still challenges with that. And so what we're being told is that as of right now, the best, the ideal case for a drone is one where you're not going to have a lot of denied claims coming back. Um, because if it, if it becomes a, a denied or we can't really tell if it's hail damage or, or wind damage or something along those lines, now you have to resend and reschedule a adjuster to come up and, and take a look at that. And so that's really the thing that we've been focused on in that particular conversation is when is the optimal conditions that are likely to not have few you know, positives of denial. Yeah, it is such a big question. It's the million dollar question there. And yep. so data in our industry, I'm, I'm sure in all things weather has become better and better and better fairly rapidly right over the last 25 years. And certainly the, the machine power to analyze that data has become greater and greater and greater. Talk about data sources and the kind of data that you guys are chopping up and digesting to develop these insights? Is it aerial imagery? Is it, is it ground level? I mean, what is it? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. So from a weather perspective, um, most of the weather industry relies on, in fact, all of the weather industry really relies on the National Weather Service in terms of infrastructure from a weather radar. Like you're used to seeing on the news channel at, you know, five o'clock or six o'clock news. Uh, what we do is we take in the raw data that's behind the information there. Uh, we process that with um, Google Cloud Computing. Um, we apply different machine learning techniques. Facial pattern recognition, one storm is going to look different than another storm, and it physically is behaving differently than another storm. Uh, one, some of the things that you have to overcome with hail in particular, and this has been a challenge with with uh, the industry as a whole, there's still some, some vendors out there that are struggling with it, is that for our purposes in the insurance industry, we don't really care what's going on at 20 or 30,000 feet in the air. Yeah. Um, we don't care. It, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't matter to our day to day business. Right. And one of the things you have to overcome there is that the hail that you're detecting at 20 or 30,000 feet up, you cannot drop that as like a data cylinder straight to the ground. Because what's happening inside the storm is it's, it's one, it's spinning. Uh, number two is that it's moving. And then number three is kind of like um, um, 
you know, somebody jumping out of an airplane, it takes time for uh, you to get down to the ground. Well, the hail is the same way. And so that's a big thing that we've spent a lot of time on is doing four-dimensional modeling on these storms and uh, tracing the trajectories of the hail and accounting for it that way. So we do that. The other challenge that you have is that a computer is really good at structured data. It can process structured data very well. Weather is inherently fuzzy. There's not, this isn't, there is a road, there is not a road, right? It's a very fuzzy thing. And so one of the things that we do that's unique from anybody else is that we, we've gone the way of the past of only automation. That got us to a point where we were doing really well. But then we went back and said, okay, we really need the human mind and the human capital on this as well. Because a human can look at things in an unstructured way and really see complex patterns that a computer just can't interpret the context of that. So I've got a team now of nine meteorologists on staff and they focus exclusively on that problem. So what's really cool about that is the human meteorologists are putting their input in in the, in the automation and the computer learning and all the cool things that we can do today that we couldn't do 10 years ago is doing its thing. And then you can triangulate all that information and, and get more and more accurate. So you're saying that the inherent uh, capabilities of, of the human mind are an important part of this equation. Yes. Yep. Because because there's qualities that we inherently have that we're just born with that lend themselves to this kind of analysis if they're properly trained, I assume. I doubt that that I would do I would do you a lot of good. I don't doubt that Lee would do you any good. <laughs> No, I mean, that's a good point too, though. So the, the meteorologists that we have on the team, um, they chase tornadoes. Um, they chase hail on a routine and regular basis. Um, it's also something that we believe in so much that they can take off and as long as they want, as, as much as they need, and get out there in the field. And there's a really important thing there is when we're looking at data, Data that you see from a weather perspective and what's going on on the ground are two different things. And so you, that's where that human component and that, that history of being out in the storms, being under the storms and, and looking at radar and realize that you're in the core of the radar, but you're not getting rain on. There's no hail. There's no nothing. And, and why is that? And so what, how does that relate back to, again, what we care about is what's hitting roofs. And so that, that's that component where if you just used a computer for that would be a challenge. If you bring in the human component of that plus the computing component of it, that's where you get uh, some, some magic. So earlier you were talking about how after a claim is filed, uh, you're able to set reserves or at least give estimated reserves. Where does the information, I, I guess, where do you capture the information about what type of roof uh, shingle is on the roof or size of home, things like that. Where's that coming from? That's a good question. Um, a lot of carriers pull that in from um, their underwriting side um, when they're asking questions from the underwriting perspective, uh, when, they're, when they're trying to quote and bind a, a policy. Uh, carriers have that information. Um, so we work directly with carriers where we do it in a way where we can push our information into their system. Um, another way that we are doing that is through partnerships with uh, aerial imagery companies. And, you know, one of those we just announced is Better View 
Um, we announced yeah. that, uh, I think last week, two weeks ago, uh, fantastic group of folks over at better view. Uh, we've Great got group. a couple of other, yep. We've got a few other relationships. There's, there's a lot of talent in that industry of the kind of applying computer vision, uh, to aerial imagery right now. There's some really good organizations and, uh, definitely in conversations with a few of them about that. So I'd like to ask you about your, your QA process. I assume that there's a lot of testing, right? Your, your models might show that there's hell damage. I mean, how, what, I guess, talk a little bit about the uh, quality assurance side to make sure your models are accurate. What are you doing there? That's a, that's a good question. So one of the things before Canopy, um, I think in the introduction, we mentioned that I was a serial entrepreneur, but, uh, before Canopy, after Weather Fusion, which we sold a few years back, um, I actually became a roofing contractor. Oh, okay. And a little different. Um, went from data and product and, and enterprise level stuff over to becoming a roofing contractor. And there's a, there's a real reason for that. Um, over years of working with uh, claims managers and adjusters, so many times we would see you know, two inch hail, three inch hail in an area. And yeah, absolutely. There was hail that large. Uh, but we would see claims that were being denied and rightfully denied when you looked at the inspection photos. So one of the things that really bugged me about that is like, that's not really a weather issue at that point. There's something else going on. So I became a, a roofing contractor to go figure that out. So it's been two and a half years, um, chase storms across three different states. Um, 30 different hailstorms and the the key one of the things in that was thinking about that how do you understand the material type the age of that material you know a, a roof as it ages uh, its ability to accept damage from hail or wind or anything uh, depletes um, and that goes uh, there's a lot of study IBHS uh, donut engineering Hague engineering Sedgwick, like there's a whole bunch of engineering firms. IBHS, as I said, have spent a lot of money on doing lab testing. Uh, the IBHS is spending a lot of money trying to do some field testing, but nothing beats that understanding of that physical, what's really happening. So that's why I did that. And then from that transition, so that was one of the things uh, that we very first prototyped against was, okay, well, we have all this inspection data across all these different storms, is there a way that we can create weather variables to mimic what's going on versus what we see on the ground? That was our first kind of alpha phase, if you will, is just tested against uh, our data and other, other contractor data. And then it, it, that was in 2019, 2020. Uh, okay. And then, uh, then we kind of went into a beta role where we tested it with more and more contractor data and then that's when we got into relationships with carriers and said hey wouldn't it be cool if well we think that we can do it we don't know if we can do it until we play with claims data and so we showed what we what the results we had with contractor data and that rapidly accelerated on the on the claim side and that happened in 2020 starting and then really up through now so did you use the claims data for validation we did not use the data inside claims data inside the algorithm, we just use it for validation. Uh-huh. And so you guys can do this though. Roofs are your thing. Mm -hmm. 
But it's not just hail, right? It's wind, it's hail, it's tornado, hurricane, et cetera, correct? Right. So the damage analytics that we do for hail is definitely at a higher sophistication uh, than you get with wind events. So whether it's a thunderstorm wind, a hurricane wind, or, or a tornado wind, um, hurricane or wind versus hail, hail is a physical object that's falling. Um, so you can, you can get much more granular with that. Um, and really what our, what our hail data does is it's at, at the core of it. It's what's the probability of 10 visible hail hits per square. Uh, and, uh, and, and it works very well for that. And you can do all kinds of derivatives off of that. For wind, we are doing uh, some pretty exciting work on tornado in particular. Uh, on my LinkedIn page, I'm pretty, pretty vocal about uh, our tornado capability. And we, we view tornado as a, almost like a brand promise to the industry. Um, tornado is incredibly challenging. Um, there's a significant high false positive rate with traditional methods. Uh, and then you get these big tornado swaths that are five or six or seven miles wide. And it's, I mean, what do you do with that? Like the whole city of Dallas, Fort Worth gets hit. Like that's not reality. Yeah. So we've been focused on tornado. Um, and what we do there is within an hour, it updates hourly across the nation. Uh, we can actually pinpoint down the street level what that uh, tornado did. Uh, we're working with FEMA on uh, a couple of projects there. That's been really exciting uh, to have them as partners. So they actually use our data. Uh, the, the Quad State tornado, the, the one that happened uh, December 10th, uh, that was the Mayfield, Kentucky, almost 300-mile-long tornado. It, it broke up apart a little bit. So FEMA is a, is a user of our tornado product. Uh, what they What's really cool about that, and it just parlays right into the carrier side as well, is being able to immediately have an assessment of what policies and force were impacted and, and how many resources you need uh, because we can get it down to that street level and policy by policy level. Now you can spool up call centers. Whereas before that was not an option when the whole County is being lit up as hit, you can't do that. But whenever right. you have policy by policy, you can. And we even had, uh, I want to say, I can't remember what day it was. So I apologize, but we had a carrier that uh, cut a check. So that word was tornado hit. I think it was Georgia tornado hit. They called, spooled up a call center, called their policies, policyholder sent them a text message confirming the house from the front, from the street, looking at the house. They cut a check uh, for electronic deposit and they had their full payout uh, policy limits in the bank at 9 a.m. the next day. Wow. So there's, uh, this is real stuff and, um, and it, it's really powerful for policyholders and, and uh, carriers as well. So in that example, where is Canopy Weather involved in that workflow? Currently, the way we do it is uh, we send over a GeoJSON file. Let's just think of it as a, a polygon or a, or a geofence file. If, you know, that's a common term nowadays. But uh, we send over the path of the, the files to the carrier. They, they're able to pull that up inside their systems, whether it be Esri or Salesforce or whatever they use, and then they execute uh, the workflows from there. So we just su supply the map and then they do the rest. But you guys aren't, I mean, when I think about canopy weather, should I be thinking about hail maps? Yeah, okay. we do that too. 
Yep. So we have the traditional products that you've seen for the last 10, 12 years now. And then and they can stop there. But you guys have an additional layer that you offer, additional yep. further services down into the claim. That's correct. So here I was actually reading, and I wanted to talk just a little bit about the pre-existing hail damage to the roof and how valuable it is mm. for these carriers to know that they're underwriting or that they're selling a policy to a home that already has hail damage. And mm-hmm. I was reading some stats here. Why don't you talk a little bit about how, how your service helps insureds know if there's already pre-existing hail damage? Sure. And this is one of those that we, we know is a problem. Um, hail happens. Not everybody files a claim. Not everybody repairs their property. Um, and how we came up with this solution was really by the request of our customers. It started off on the claim side. And then one, one of the things we did is I said, well, this is interesting. Can you determine if there was pre-existing damage? I said, sure. Send us the policy inception dates and we'll, we'll backdate the damage analytics back. Instead of dating it to a reported data loss, we'll date it back to policy inception. And when we did that with a couple of carriers that we were testing with, pretty shocked to see that between 41 and 52% of claims had pre-existing damage. And so that was a big number. Um, so that then got us into the underwriting side. And the policy inception or, or pre-existing damage is pretty substantial. Um, if you have pre-existing damage, you're not one storm away or, or you're not climatology away from a claimant at that point. You're one contractor door knock away. You could have a storm that happens a couple miles away. Or you could have uh, any uh, a contractor that hadn't had any jobs lately, and they start canvassing and door knocking door to door to door, and they stumble across your your policy and knock on it and file a claim, and now you've got a ten thousand dollar claim that came in that's pre existing damage. You know how do you handle that? So those are a lot of the questions that the underwriting side is is exploring right now, and. When you think about the math of that for a second, you've got a on average ten thousand dollar policy, or excuse me, ten thousand dollar claim. Yeah, you have premiums that you're taking in at a certain level. Call it two thousand dollars for easy math, and then you throw in a little bit of loss ratio in there for just operational expenses and things like that. And you're looking at eight nine years of profitability on a policy that gets vaporized because right. of pre existing damage. Yeah, I think that's so important to be able to know that. And I would imagine you could overlay that with, you know, with 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 prior loss information to see what what's going on out there. I was gonna say you pull that in. Uh, you know, Cape Analytics has published some pretty interesting blogs uh, that they're working on in terms of uh, hail vulnerability, which is not a weather phenomenon it's it, the way that they're looking at it is from a building yeah. phenomenon how is it, how is that building structured um how many facets are there how steep, steep and things like that and so when you start bringing in pre-existing damage with all the cool building characteristics that these computer vision companies are doing like cape analytics like better view you really start to pull these disparate sets in and you can pull those into one, one solution that's incredibly powerful and and really can start to segment um you know what are the good policy versus a bad policy uh, when you're out selling this crazy idea that you guys have 
clearly you're getting positive reception. I'm sure that being in the industry, being the insurance facing for a long time really helps you guys a lot. But what I wanted to ask you was, what is the problem that you're hearing from the carriers that you're solving? When they come in, they say, here's my problem. And you say, that's exactly the problem we want to hear. What is it? I think there's two angles on that. So we'll talk about underwriting since we're there in the conversation first, and then we'll go back to claims. Good. On underwriting, it's pre-existing damage. Everyone knows that it exists. And until now, there's been no solution to actually identify it. Uh, So that's what we do on underwriting, pre-existing damage at the point of quote. On the claim side, it is in a arena of so many tools now at our, at our disposal and at the, at the claims manager's disposal, which tool is the right tool for the right job? Mm-hmm. You, you don't use a screwdriver when you need it on a nail, right? You don't use a hammer on a screw. And every claim is a little bit unique. And that's really what we're focusing on the claim side is help get the right tool to that right claim. That's so important. I had written down a question whenever we were talking, and I was wondering what what percentage of claims, weather-related claims, do you think could be used in the straight-through processing model, meaning that we know there's damage and we can write a check and we can feel confident about it? What percent of claims do you think would actually fall into that model? If we back into that question a little bit, the biggest concern there is false positives. If Mm -hmm. we're we're cutting a $10,000 check, for a roof that probably shouldn't be fully replaced, right? That's right. the biggest fear uh, uh, that you have to address. So, so false positive is a big, is the critical component. You know, it's kind of like a, a soccer game, right? Your your striker can kick at it as many times as he wants, but if the goalie lets one goal through, it's a problem. Yeah. And that's really the thing that we have to master uh, on the straight through processing. And that's so challenging because $10,000 buys a lot of LAE. And if we think through that, so we're able right now to do that at about 17 to 20% of claims currently. Okay. Um, so it's, it's a good chunk. Uh, and yeah. we can still keep the, the, false, the false positives low enough uh, where there's uh, a positive ROI that's relatively meaningful. From there, uh, I think we as an industry will probably start to hit a you know, that's where we're starting is at 17 to 20%. We've been able to prove that out now multiple times. I think we start to hit a ceiling or a limit of what could be straight through process, probably at about 35 to 45% is when uh, I think that's going to be the future. We're years away from from that as an industry, as an enterprise, Um, but that's going to be about the limit of what would be able to be straight through processed. So let's talk about for a few minutes about your journey, the Matt journey, which I find to be a really interesting thing. So you're a young guy. You look like you're 14 with a beard and you were in on the ground floor of another company, of another weather company. And you went through the whole journey, including a successful exit. Super exciting, right? Yeah. And why do it again? Uh, Probably unfinished business is why to do it again. At the time of Weather Fusion was the previous company, and uh, I think one of the things that we did as a team there uh, was really push the envelope in the industry. At the time, there were no automated hail maps that were worth anything, uh, no automated hail wind data, no wind data that was automated at the ground level. Um, so our team was truly pushing the, the bleeding edge of science on all that back then. Um, 
And from there, uh, that still is was phenomenal. Um, but there are all these kind of unanswered questions that we talked about previously where you can have hail that's three inches and it's not doing damage. Why is that? You would suspect that three-inch hail would do damage, and that's just not always the truth. Uh, I've seen uh, that inch, inch and a quarter hail um, can do more damage than baseball hail. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so that's probably unfinished business as to why I got into it, um, back into it, mm-hmm. is really take it to that next level of no longer just weather data, now let's make it business and actionable, true insights that, that mean something to the bottom line. Is some of it, and this is just my guess, that the science is evolving so rapidly, the data tools, the tools, the computing power is so interesting that it just opens up more vistas of what might be possible. I think so. Uh, there's, there's definitely, you know, 10 years ago, the tools that we had to, to do to build what we did 10 years ago did not exist. So everything we had to build completely from scratch. Uh, and I'm talking about tech stacks and like deep in the data and deep in the technology. Uh, today, those tools are more or less publicly available. Um, I'm not talking about data sets. I'm talking about the technology capability. Mm-hmm. And, and so it definitely makes it easier to experiment and explore. Uh, it's not as cost intensive to experiment and explore. It's easier to fail fast and cheat, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's definitely like probably lowered the barrier in terms of pushing the edge again, if that makes sense, um, is it's not as painful to fail. Whereas it used to be pain, very painful to fail, it'd be years of work before mm-hmm. you knew that you were failing. Now you're months of work before mm-hmm. you know you're failing. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the biggest component of it um, that technology has uh, unlocked in the last ten years, and that includes like machine learning capabilities. That I think that you know that's beyond just a buzzword. It's more of a sniff test, and the most from from an R and D perspective, it, it can help you kind of smell out or sense out if you're on the right track. Uh, faster than than you could have without it. Can we talk about climate change for a minute? Sure. Does that climate change has to figure into your work somehow or another? In terms of our product, we don't account for any climate change concerns, and the reason for that is the policy is one year period. Um, there's not, and, and then even in the book of business, so you, what are you talking about? Five years, seven years, nine years. Um, so there's. Our customers, from their day-to-day business, um, it doesn't really affect them. Um, mm-hmm. Now, when you start looking at that over the course of 10 years, 15 years, 30 years, absolutely, we see it in the data. Uh, you can see it in the, in the um, uh, public storm reports beyond just, even when you normalize out, like uh, growth of population and and easier to detect and all these things, you see storm clustering. And I think that that is the thing of climate change that actually truly does directly impact the claim side. One of the things you're seeing, and and we're going to see this continue, is with climatology, you're getting these swarms of of storms. You're getting more tornadoes in a a shorter frequent 
uh, period of time. You're getting more hailstorms in a cluster, if you will, in a shorter period of time. Uh, the April storm, the, the April 28th of uh, last year, 2021, hit my house uh, in Norman, hit Dallas, hit, uh, I think, Waco. Yeah. 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 Uh, and then Austin got hit and San Antonio all in one whack. Yeah. Five or six cities got hit within 30, 45 minutes of each other. And you're going to continue to see that pattern. And I think that that goes back into our core component on the claims side with, in terms of triaging claims before first notice of loss, you're, you're going to have to use tools like that because you have a certain set of human capital uh, for you to deploy. Right. And these claims are coming in much faster and higher than, than the infrastructure allows. So right. you have to be where, very smart about that. Where, you know, you had whatever hard three inch hail and a lot of it, th- yep. those, those roofs are wiped out. So, you know, you, you don't have to spend your human capital on, on those places. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's outside of, uh, so last question I want to ask about, I want to ask about doing this for the second time in the insurance industry. You guys were in, worked in with the insurance uh, industry previously. Mm -hmm. Um, it makes you kind of unique because many of the, the entrepreneurs that we, and the founders that we talk to on the insure tech side are, um, new to insurance or newer to insurance or have been brought, maybe their VCs helped move them over to the insurance side. Um, did you come back to insurance because you know it well and you're, and, and, and you guys were comfortable in it and you wanted to take advantage of the opportunities that you might be able to have that way? I mean, is, is that what brought you here a second time? Yeah. Yeah, I think for me personally, yes. Um, again, if you're as a as an entrepreneur, you're really trying to look at asymmetric risk. Um, that's fundamentally that's what you do as a business owner. And so, one of those risk profiles is working with people in an industry that you already know and have a deep understanding of, on, on, in particular on the claim side. And um, and so that was definitely part of the calculus. Um, another part of that calculus, from a strategic perspective. When I was had made the decision to start shutting down the um, my activity in the in the roofing construction side of phase of my life, and I got back with uh, Don Giuliano, the former CEO of Weather Fusion, and we were talking a little bit, and we're like, well, you know, um, there could be an angle where we can leverage what what was learned from that contractor experience into what we are doing today, and where I'm headed with that is when we looked at the industry, um, you had a couple of, we knew that property characteristics was going to be fundamental. You had to have really good property characteristics. You had at the time Cape analytics and better view. Arturo was kind of just getting started. Um, Zesty was getting started, but there was the point being here is, is there was like 60 or $70 million I had been invested into computer vision uh, capabilities. And, there was a, a single inherent flaw with that approach. It works great for doing roof condition on like visible characteristics. Hey, I can see a three foot shingle missing in a three inch pixel. I can see water ponding. I can see these certain characteristics, but you cannot see hail damage in current aerial imagery. It's not possible. 
So that, that was a strategic anchor why we made the decision to get back into this industry is while there are some fantastic companies that we've mentioned on the call today that are doing incredible work at computer vision and roof condition uh, for like water ponding and, and wind related concerns, you cannot see hail damage. And so we made that full full package by being able to partner up with companies like that because they can do fantastic at seeing that piece and we can quote unquote see the hail damage right. remotely. So that makes a full package. That's wonderful. Awesome. Yep. Awesome. Um, well, we've uh, taken advantage of you completely here and, uh, and, and appreciate it. And, uh, and again, we want to thank, um, our friend and soul groupie Astrid for, uh, yes. for, for making this happen. And, um, and thank you a lot for, for being with us. This is a fascinating part of the, of the, of the whole insurance equation and the cat equation. We appreciate you sharing with us today and uh, come back and see us again. Likewise. And Astrid, thank you. We'll give you a shout out as well. Thank you so much for getting us connected. Thank you, Matt. We had a little conversation after we finished the podcast with Matt about um, where they are as far as corporate development, business development, and so on and so forth. And I mean, they're, they're, this company is so uh, welcome in the marketplace. They've made a tremendous amount of advance and are doing great with like no real sales or marketing or, you know, effort. They're, they're just, that's how, that's how hungry the industry is for this. Well, it's such a great product and data is so important, but if we can use this weather related data on the front end and the back end of policy writing, I mean, it's a game changer and everyone is looking to, to find out how to use this, this weather data. And if they can come in there and say, this is it, we're helping you know when to straight through process, when to use a drone, when to send an adjuster. Um, I mean, we're just talking game changers. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of applications, which is good for all you people out there listening who uh, are on the carrier side. And um, if you're on the product side, uh, a lot to listen to in this as well. And we uh, thank Matt for being with us and the whole team at Canopy for sharing Matt with us. And congratulations to Matt and uh, Miss Van Every on uh, the impending baby. We thank all you for being with us today. And once again, we'll say what we say every single time, except when we don't. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>